Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Till Luca here. When I was looking for a publisher for a book I wanted to write, I was fortunate to have ended up with two offers, one from a large international media conglomerate, and the other from Handspring, a small publisher in Scotland run by four great people who love great books and who love our field. To this day, I'm glad I chose to go with Handspring because not only did they help me make the books I wanted to share with you, the Advanced Myofascial Technique Series, and they published a cool book co-authored by our guest today, so more on that coming up. But their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. Yes, and I'm Whitney Lowe, and Handspring's Move to Learn webinars are free 45-minute broadcast featuring their authors, including one with you, Till. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check those out, and be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. So thank you again, Handspring. So Till, we have a marvelous uh, Handspring author guest with us today, if I'm correct. Is that right? That's right. Kathy, Ryan, you're here with us. Great to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Do you like my scarves? I love your scarves. I got dressed up because we're going to talk about scarves, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Scarves. Scarves <laughs> tissue today, I think. Scarves tissue. Scarves. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it was about uh, scars. Yeah. Scars and scar tissue. Oh, the name of, yeah. Okay. The name yeah. of your book is Traumatic Scar Tissue Management, Massage Therapy Principles, Practices, and Protocols. And then you also wrote a cool article for Massage and Body Work magazine called Not Breakable But Changeable. And you do some other cool stuff, like you do the interdisciplinary podcast with Cal Cates. You're, you have some courses on their Hewell platform, I know, and probably a lot of other places. What else should people know about you? Actually, no, I'm going to tell one more thing about you. Yeah, I met you like we were just reminiscing on a, a riverboat at the Berlin Fascial Congress 2018, where we were seated next to each other for the dinner cruise on the river that we can't remember the name of. <laughs> but I was picking your brain about uh, inflammation in particular, because that was and still is my fascination and was getting ready to launch a new uh course where I was actually trying to say something useful about inflammation to hands-on therapists. And your input helped a lot. In fact, you turned me on to your book, and that's it's been on my list to talk to you about forever, because your book is awesome, and I am really inspired by it, and I learned a lot from it. And so it's just a pleasure to have you here talking to us. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, what, yeah. what should people know about me? I am yeah. one of those individuals um, probably much like yourselves that is obsessed with fascia, <laughs> which is obsessed kind of with fascia. Yep. obsessed with fascia, which is kind of what led me towards the scar tissue realm of things. Um, I've worked with scar tissue over my 30 plus year career as a registered massage therapist, but it wasn't necessarily my practice focus, let's say. Um, but because of my keen interest in fascia, I was interested in fibrosis. And then that connection with scars, um, as you mentioned, the fa fabulous people at Handspring, 
uh, responsible for Mary Law in particular for getting Nancy and I to team up to to do this book. I met Mary a number of years ago at a international massage therapy uh, research conference, and she approached Mary me. Mary Law is one of the editors at Handspring, and then you mentioned Nancy. That's Nancy Kinney Smith. Yeah, calling. Nancy Kinney Smith. And Mary was aware that I had done some writing. Um, I've been writing in the massage therapy profession for a number of years, mostly magazine type of stuff, uh, curriculum. And uh, Mary approached me and said, look, we just started this new publishing company, and I understand that you do some writing. I'm looking for somebody to do a book on scars. Um, does that interest you? And I said, well, fibrosis certainly interests me. And I said, but, you know, probably good to pairing up with somebody else who's more specific to scars. Uh, Nancy was presenting her burn scar work at that conference and Mary went to Nancy and said, hey, uh, would you be interested in doing a book on scar tissue management? I've been wanting this topic covered by Handspring and Nancy said, well, I'm not a writer per se, so if you can find somebody to write with. And Mary said, aha, I have somebody in mind and that's how we got together to do the book because Nancy's been teaching scar tissue workshops for many, many years. All right. So you were the fibrosis and writing talent in the, that was it mixed, inserted into that mix. Uh, what about, what was, I mean, what did you want to communicate in the book, in a nutshell? Because we'll get into some of the details as we go, but what, what was it you were actually trying to communicate from your point of view? Um, when Nancy and I initially connected to talk about the project, I think one of the things that both she and I found a common ground was is that we had done scar tissue work over the course of our careers. Um, and part of the reason why Nancy started teaching is she comes more from a lymphatic background. Um, and she found that all the scar tissue workshops that were out there were more directed towards after the fact, how to mm -hmm. deal with problematic scars that had already formed. And both Nancy and I in our practice were coming from the perspective of is there something that we could be doing uh, in the early stages of wound healing that mm. potentially could facilitate a better outcome? So that's, I really think is kind of the, one of the key elements of the book that we wrote is we wanted to talk about the major systems involved in wound healing, deep dive into wound healing research, deep dive into inflammation, um, and how we can work with our hands in those very early stages. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there about shouldn't be touching the patient for X amount of weeks. Both Nancy and I start working with patients in the, you know, within days um, after some kind of injury or surgery. Um, of course, we're using our hands in ways that are different than perhaps we would use our hands if someone comes to see me and they've got a scar that's 10 years old. That's great. It's uh, that's, I mean, just, I hate to keep putting myself in there, but that was actually my interest in developing that inflammation approach because uh, conventionally a lot of hands-on manual therapists, massage therapists were just told if it's inflamed, don't work it or let it, you know, let the inflammation come down. And there's something to that, but I really wanted to piece together for myself protocols or principles that would allow me to safely work with people right from the beginning. So that's fascinating that that was your interest. Hey, by the way, one other uh, divergence, are you going to the next fascial research Congress in Montreal. Oh, absolutely. It's September. It is. And 20, I had 2022. Just... Yeah, right. Oh, is it? Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that's a year from now. Okay, so then I can ask you now, 
because uh, they just let me know. It's still preliminary, but this, they just let me know that I'll be likely presenting a a uh, workshop, right? A, a one day inflammation workshop right before the Congress in Montreal. And I would love it if you would come uh, heckle me, or if I could even tempt you up on the stage, or at least wave hi to people while I'm there. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't take much convincing. All right, <laughs> you got it. All I right. mean, we're you heard Nancy, it here first, folks. She committed. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy and I are tentatively on on the list to potentially present a half day. Um, yeah. So as long as it doesn't conflict, you know, if we are not presenting, I'll make we're sure at the same time. Yeah, I'll make sure we're not at the same time because I I would love. Well, that. if we are at the same time, I'm going to sneak out of my workshop and come heckle you. <laughs> I was going to do the same. <laughs> yeah. All right, great. That's yeah. cool. That you're going to be there. So anyway, I'm I wanted sorry. to um, yeah, backtrack yeah. to a moment to something you said about sure. um, you know this idea that w massage therapists so much in their initial training that both you and Till were saying this we're taught to stay away from things. You know, just stay away from wounds, stay away from scars. Can you elaborate a little bit, like? What is the primary cautions that we still do want to have? And what, what's some of the misinformation that you've really learned now that, that may not have been accurate that was conveyed to us about why we should stay away from things? I think in the conversations that I've had with physicians, surgeons, um, I think there's concern about um, infection. Number one, as a massage therapist, we need to be mindful of open wounds and, and whatnot. The other thing would be interrupting the healing scar. So I think their concept sometimes of, of manual therapy is fairly assertive use of the hands that might somehow interrupt or reopen the scar as it's healing. Um, I know certainly as a massage therapist, a contraindication for us would be that if someone comes in and there's still their bandaging over them, I would not be removing their bandaging to work around the yeah. area because of the risk of infection. Um, so in the conversations that I've had with surgeons, and, and this was one that I had not that long ago, um, a client who had been seeing for quite a while um, had to have um, some TMJ, uh, a second subsequent surgery because of one that had been an issue from years ago and was seeing a, a different surgeon this time around. And uh, after the surgery, the surgeon said to this person, don't let anybody touch it. No physical therapy, physiotherapy, no massage therapy, nothing for six weeks. And she said, well, the massage therapist that I see, this is uh, one of her areas. You know, she's considered advanced in scar tissue work as a massage therapist. Can I go see her? And the surgeon's like, oh, no, I really don't want anybody touching it because I don't want the healing process interfered with. I don't want any aggressive work on the tissue because that could potentially up the ante in terms of hyper collagen proliferation. And she said, would you have a conversation with my massage therapist? And he's like, sure. Right. So I did have a conversation with the surgeon and, um, you know, my first, at the beginning of the conversation, my question was, what are you concerned about? So before I even launched into this is what I do and blah, blah, blah. Um, my first question from the, for the surgeon was, what are your concerns and, and why do you feel it's not appropriate to have for your patients to have any kind of manual therapy um, for six weeks? So the surgeon explained their concerns, which were the ones that I had mentioned previously about the uh, hypercollagen proliferation. 
So then I described in the early stages, really what I'm looking to do is uh, help calm or sedate the nervous system um, and just work with the edema to keep that to a minimum because I understand from the wound healing research that superfluous swelling can potentially be one of the drivers of hypertrophic scarring. Um, so we engaged in this really great conversation. And at the end of the conversation, the surgeon said, you may touch this patient. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big yeah. thing. Yeah. The surgeon big letting thing. you in the territory. Yeah, right. that's that a, big a big thing. thing. So tell us, uh, just tell us what a hypertrophic scar is for those that may not know. Well, the hypertrophic scars are uh, uh, an overproduction of collagen. So you see uh, within the scar margin, this lumpy, bumpy, thickened, uh, you know, tissue where essentially the body has overdone it, you know, more material than what is really necessary uh, to close the wound and uh, support restoration of function. That's great. What else? Do you think you said that reassured him? Um, I, from my perspective, probably the thing that was most reassuring is that I was able to convey that um, my knowledge around wound healing research was current. So I was able to talk to him about some of the research that um, supported my work or formed the way that I work with my hands. Um, I was able to give the names of a couple of researchers who work I was following and he was, those are kind of the who's who of wound healing. Um, so he recognized those names. So I think that I think probably was one of the things that was most reassuring and just conveying to him what my intentions were in the early stages, not to interfere with the wound healing process not necessarily to stop inflammation, but to manage anything superfluous. And you mentioned calming the nervous system mm. and helping modulate perfusion or edema, helping Correct. things uh, not build up so much. That, so those are your early goals with a scar. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah. Great. What, so one idea you said that people can have is that they shouldn't uh, work on a scar too soon, and you're describing some ways or some goals that might open up some possibilities there. What other beliefs or ideas or assumptions might uh, practitioners or clients have about scars that we would like to uh, gently question? Uh, exactly as the article for <laughs> the title suggests, this stuff is not breakable. We cannot break down scar tissue. So, you know, and I'll often say anytime I present or I'm uh, providing a course, you know, I'll say to people, if you take one thing away from this, just stop saying break up down scar tissue. Please just stop doing that. And my, my issue with the imprecision of that language is that we will often try to model what the words imply. So if I have it in my head that I have to break this stuff up, I'm, I'm going to go in pretty hard and heavy to try to break this stuff up uh, when collagen has a tensile strength of steel. So we're not going to be breaking this time any soon. And anyone who's done any kind of cadaver uh, work or cadaver courses, if you've seen what this stuff looks like inside the body, when you've got something that essentially looks like my Achilles tendon, 
um, after 30 years of massage therapy, my hands are pretty strong, but they're not that strong. And nor would I want to try to go at the patient in that way because um, it's not a very patient-centered uh, <laughs> approach, in my opinion. You're describing the point of view that says, one, if we think about breaking up scar tissue or breaking up adhesions, that's a fairly aggressive model to come from and might not be aligned with those goals you had about calming the nervous system, for example. And then you're also questioning the possibility or plausibility of that idea that we would actually break a collagen connection in the body. Well, or be so aggressive with the tissue that the body is going to escalate collagen production because we, we know that in um, recovery after injury, whether it be a tendon or whatever the case may be, our body will start to form material in response to the demands that are placed upon it. So we know that with uh, tendon recovery, there needs to be a certain amount of loading so that the body has the message that it needs to in order to form tissue in a way that it's going to be able to do its job. So say, sorry, to, uh, say something about what you mean by loading, because you know, physios, people in that world know exactly what you mean, but in our field, manual therapy, that might mean different things. What kind of loading would help? Well, loading would be like stretching or contracting the muscles that have a relationship with that tissue and or the fascia. So we, we need to use our bodies in ways that we intend to go forward in, in the hey. ability to use our body. I'm curious too about this idea, you know, this sort of changing idea of what we're doing to those tissues. Um, you know, I know when I was originally trained in like, Kathy, I think you and I went to school around the same time, some in the late eighties. Um, you know, we were taught a lot of the stuff based on Syriax's approach with, you know, deep friction for, you know, um, muscle strains and, you know, scars, you know, sort of uh, torn tissue types of injuries, ligament sprains and things like that. And it did seem to be a treatment that got some beneficial results. It seems now that the theoretical model behind that, that we are helping to realign scar tissue or break up, you know, adhesions between adjacent tissues may not have been so accurate. So what's your sort of take on like, where does that fit in that model? Is that now kind of like totally debunked or is that where are we now with that idea and why does that help? or seem to help in some instances of getting greater, you know, movement or freedom of movement um, after doing that type of treatment? Well, and um, I don't know that we have <laughs> all the research to be able to, to really uh, answer that question, but I have some theories. Oh, on I that. can tell you, I can <laughs> tell you if I just go, I can, I can do some quick research. If I open up my browser and type in like, can I break up adhesions? I'll get all kinds of evidence right <laughs> oh, there. Oh yeah. Great evidence. There's lots of people saying it one way or the other. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. Either, in other words, it's either all about that or it can't be done at all, and it's not about mm -hmm. that. Is, yeah. is the debate. But you're well, saying, I'm sorry. I think it's reasonable that we can, if tissue is rather superficial, and I engage that tissue with fairly strong force with my knuckle, let's say, and I mm -hmm. grind grind back and forth across it. I can perturb that tissue in a way that the body will instigate some kind of response to that tissue being perturbed. So whether that instigates the release of collagenase and then that goes through a process of degrading the tissue and then the body reforms new collagen and because we're doing better things for ourselves, let's say during that reformation or remodeling stage, we end up with a better product. 
So I think there's the possibility that provocation techniques can potentially be useful in some circumstances, but but I think it's in yeah. You know, when we think about celiacs, it was intended to be done on very discrete areas of tissue fairly close to the surface. You know, I don't really know that I could like drive my elbow into someone's abdomen to try to get at an adhesion like this larger mass of tissue to get the same kind of productive results. Mm -hmm. You know, I think based upon Stecco's more recent work, we do know that shearing types of techniques um, potentially seem to have some kind of um, impact on getting the attention of fascia that release hyaluronin or, you know, they're responsible. So that shearing kind of motion, which is I, I use a fair amount in my practice, kind of a lifting and shearing type of a technique. So very different than the provocation intended to um, facilitate a juicier, more soft pliable tissue um, that allows for greater ease of movement. Okay, so you were you were interested in fibrosis, but you're talking about juiciness. Well, yeah, and I think fibrosis part of it may be a lack of juiciness because uh -huh. not not only is it the physical change in the tissue, but we you know in this uh, more into Stecco's work densification, where we have a change in the fluid environment within and around the fibers, which also could be part of why those fibers are less bendy and less pliable, you know, so if we can, the way that I often talk about it when I'm teaching is it's like reconstituting the sun-dried tomato. <laughs> That's essentially what I think of when I'm using my hands is you get this material that feels very dense and, you know, essentially dried out. And then you work with it for a while and then it feels more like a sun-dried tomato where it's soft and slidey and I can bend it and twist it. Nice. So that's very and, different than the sweater model of combing out the fibers, say, or combing them out and stretching them, aligning them, like came out of the Syriac approach. Like that, I thought we're all realigning fibers. I mean, back in my Rolf training, we were, some people, you know, would whisper, hey, if you work on a sprain right away, you can actually realign the fibers while it's still in that pre-inflammatory state. So we were in there combing out these fresh sprains and stuff, thinking that's what's going on. I mean, think, and now looking back, I think there were probably uh, certainly things we were doing that were hopefully helpful, but I don't know that we were combing fibers as much as having some interesting fluid and contextual interactions with the person well, to help and shift I, their experience. Yeah, and what I see with the people in my practice, I think the concept that I have is that if I can render that tissue more soft and pliable and they can move without pain, they're going to start moving more. And the move by virtue of movement itself, we get a better alignment of fibers and, and tissue that's going to function more normally. I'm curious too with this idea that we're the manual therapy intervention is increasing that sort of fluid matrix environment around these tissues to try to enhance its its mobility. How long does that last after the intervention is removed? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, you know, and, and of course I have no specific answer for that, but I think what I've seen and I've heard back feedback from patients in my practice is you know, often I'll convey to them, okay, now that that is moving, 
Your job is to keep it moving. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know how long the specifics of the changes that my hands potentially facilitate will last, but if, if they can now move, their movement alone will help to facilitate that forward. So based upon the outcome that I've seen in practice, um, I've had patients come in um, with something not moving um, and there's been some kind of shift or positive change with that. Um, and then that change is sustainable going forward in a lot of instances mm -hmm. by virtue yeah. of now what they're doing for themselves, not so much what my hands potentially could facilitate. So it's almost like a, a kickstarting process yeah. of, of getting movement going. Or of, or of opening up a possibility. And then it's the, it's the, uh, you know, the future depends on how it's used and how it's utilized, but it's uh, what we can do is open up possibilities. That's a question. I like it that you asked that Whitney, because that's a question I get a lot ever since the beginning, even when I was thinking about fibers, People, you know, in the in the class or clients even would say, "Okay, so this is great, really quick results, but is it going to last?" Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we had answers back then. We have answers now, and I say a lot of what you just said, Kathy. But it's the real answer, I think, that I sometimes am brave enough to say, is that nothing lasts. Really, we don't know any manual intervention or movement intervention or life intervention that's permanent. It's mm -hmm. all in various states of impermanence. And the best we can do is kind of increase possibilities, options, uh, likelihoods that things will keep being happy and keep moving, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and all those things that we can do to help support better quality of life for folks. Yeah. Okay, so that's we talked about recent scars. We've, talked, we've started to imply a little bit about older scars. What are some of the, say, evidence-based or evidence-backed ways you think that we can influence older scars? Well, you know, similar to what I was just talking about in terms of if you've got tissue that is under a lot of pressure and the sponge is not able to reconstitute itself, you know, it, it, that, that is really the approach that I take with older scars. And, and certainly you know, context is everything, you know, so if someone's had massive amount of injury and s multiple surgeries, the potential, you know, outcome for that individual might look very different than say, um, you know, a more simple um, surgery of some sort or, or injury. So, but, you know, in terms of working with patients, and again, you know, we're talking about, um, the things that were important to Nancy and I in, in writing the book, the other thing that was really important to us is to always be mindful. And I take this quote from my dear friend, Pam Fitch, that we're not just working with scars, we're working with people with scars. Um, and to, to approach from a whole person, patient-centered kind of focus. So if someone, I'll give you a, a, one of the stories that Nancy likes to talk about um, in, in class when we teach, co-teach together, uh, she had worked uh, a number of years ago with uh, an individual who was a nurse, and they had sustained um, fairly significant burn injury when they were a child. So kind of the upper part of their body had been scalded quite bad. And this individual, when they would go to reach for a pen, they couldn't get their arm very far away from their body and then have to kind of contort to reach over to the desk to pick their pen up. And when Nancy asked 
this individual, what their goals were as they were just like, I just like to be able to straighten my elbow out a little bit more. So I didn't have to contort so much when I went to pick up a pen. Um, and Nancy was very successful in helping this individual achieve that particular goal. That's all they wanted. They, mm-hmm. That that was a mm-hmm. that was one goal. So it wasn't like I want you to, you know, make all my burn scars look homogenous, invisible. With the rest of my body, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a really important thing to be mindful of in terms of when working with older scars. One of the first questions I always ask any patient is, "What are your goals? What what would you like to see as an outcome as a result of our?" What would you say to a client who says, "Yeah, I want you to erase my scar." <laughs> I would say, "Well, not able to do that." Right, you can't Photoshop it out of there. No, Can but I- you know, you will see, we'll see. Uh, uh, you know, testimonials or advertisements or pictures of before and after uh, scars. And I mean, you have some in your book that are pretty cool too, pretty dramatic. What's that about? Why? Do, I mean, when do they look different? What's good about that? When um, any well, downsides to thinking Because they're way? changeable, right? So, yeah. you know, and that's one of the other things um, with, uh, you know, fibrotic tissue. It's not dead tissue. It's not necrotic tissue. You know, it's fibrotic tissue. So our body's in constant flux. It's there's, you know, anyone who's ever had any kind of scar, one of the first things they'll say to you is my scar one year out looks very different than my scar 20 years out. Just by virtue of natural process, our scars will change over time because our collagen is always in a state of flux. It's always in a state of turnover. So, you know, one of my questions is, um, if this collagen is always in a state of turnover, but let's say that tissue is under a lot of compressive force, or let's say it's um, hypovascularized, um, it's not getting the nutrition that it needs. If we can improve that situation over time, will the body render that scar uh, more cosmetically pleasing, let's say, and more functional? Okay, so you ask it as a question. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it would it would it would seem so. Um, I I did a presentation for the Polish Fascia Symposium, and I think you were there as well. Too. Yes, uh, there in quotes, right? Did you happen to see Alistair McLaughlin's presentation? I did not. What was what did he's, you get out of that? He's a scar tissue guy um, over in Europe, and he he's been doing some research with his scar tissue work, and he showed a high definition real time ultrasound. Um, of before and after scar tissue work. And what they saw around the scar was it was, there was very little vascularization. And then after the scar tissue work, you could actually see the blood going to the scar, which was really exciting. You know, I surmised that that's likely, you know, because we can see the change in the pigmentation of scars when we work with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was really cool to kind of see that, wouldn't I love to have a high definition real time ultrasound unit? <laughs> yeah, to look yeah. inside. Yeah. I yes, that's right. That would be cool, wouldn't it? I I sometimes think that, and then I reassure myself a little bit by going, "Oh, I actually do have a high definition perceptive device here at the end of my two arms yeah. that can feel <laughs> some amazing stuff in there, and that often correlates really well with what the client feels, as long as I keep in mind that they're two different things." Absolutely. Well. I'm curious too. Yeah. 
I'm curious in terms of like treatment approaches and treatment strategies, do you have a, a different sort of technique approach that you would use for more superficial type scars? Let's say, you know, wounds, surgical scars, things that are in the skin, as opposed to, you know, deep scarring from, let's say, a deep muscle strain or, you know, ligament sprain or something like that. Definitely. Um, and it, it really is um, accessibility. Um, certainly requires us to use our hands in different ways. So stuff that's more superficial or in certain areas of the body, I can actually get a hold of the tissue and lift it, which I do a lot of in my practice. I, you know, I describe it as ballooning or lifting the tissue um, and then applying a bit of what I would describe as micro shearing in the areas where I feel that dense and dense fibrotic kind of compressed feel of tissue. When we're working in deeper areas like the abdomen, I can't really do that. So then I have to go more like uh, compression into the tissue to apply. But shearing for me is pretty much always a given. And not necessarily just with the scar tissue work that I do. With, with work in general, in my practice, I do a lot of shearing kinds of techniques. And it's interesting because I've been doing that for quite some time. So at the last fascia congress, when Dr. Carla Stecker was talking about shearing and the fascia sites seem to have an affinity for shearing and the hyaluronin, I was like, oh, yes, that's it. That's why. <laughs> it was a really exciting moment for me um, to have. And again, you know, like you tell, I, you know, I have my hands and I'm very reliant on what my hands feel and have been over the years. Um, but it, it's just kind of cool to get that kind of information, confirmation. Yeah, that's right. And to, yeah, to have it, new narratives about what's happening about what we feel. Because, yeah, I was also excited by the Steckles work early on. It's been great to see them really develop it and articulate it and fill it out. That does give some alternative explanations for what you know we're feeling and what our clients are feeling. Who knows? They're all explanations, but it's this is an interesting one. It's probably really useful. Whitney, you had a question there about uh, scars and adhesions and how they feel under the skin. Yeah, I was curious uh, for your take on this, Kathy, because you know I seem to hear uh, manual therapists talking so frequently about you know oh I feel this adhesion or this scar this this you know thing under the skin here. And, you know, we can't actually see it. We can't actually know that that's really true. So I was curious about your take on that. Like, how accurate do you think we can be about recognizing scarring and or adhesion in these subcutaneous tissues for that mystery thing that we think we're feeling with our hands? You know, I, I think we can be really accurate with that. You know, and it'd be really interesting to do a study where they had a practitioner who was you know, seasoned and well-versed and feeling for this stuff, kind of palpate around and say, you know, I feel this and I feel it running in this direction. And then if there was some kind of high definition, real-time ultrasound or something that, or an MRI or whatever, you know, to come in and say, oh yes, you know, that exactly follows the line of what we're seeing on this imagery. You know, I, I think there, you know, those of us who have worked with our hands for a really long time, I think we're quite skillful in, in feeling that stuff because it does feel different. We can feel areas of tissue that feel different. And when we engage that stuff that's dense and kind of 
you know, sometimes you can feel the, the difference in the texture of it in addition to the density or the compression of it. Oftentimes we'll get corresponding feedback from our, from our client, from our patient that says, oh, like when you engage that, I can feel that strong sensation of such and such, or I can feel that that's like when I try to move, there's something feels stuck there. It's like tethering me. I can't do that movement. So we often will get that reinforcement from our patients um, saying, that's, that's it. That's whatever and you get your hands on there. That's it. That's it. And that's, and that's for me, that's my definition of accurate. More than like, could I find it on an ultrasound, but can I get agreement with my client? So it's a subjective uh, milestone of accuracy, say, then if the, if the ultrasound shows it to me, cool, but if my client feels it, even cooler. Definitely. In a sense. So that's, that's uh, the bridge that I've been trying to weave for myself. And then and I, apparently what I do, Kathy, is I invite guests to come talk so I can tell them my opinions. Because that's what I'm doing. I'm saying that, uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to do <laughs> is get the people in my classes to do that, to feel something and then see if their client can feel it and have a conversation about that. Because that's the richest place to work. It's more work, say, than just working on uh, scar tissue and stopping there. I have to work on the person who has a scar or include them in the conversation. But that yeah. for me is where it gets really relevant and accurate. Yeah, and also I having mean, to yeah. get rid of those narratives that you said that we're we're promulgating about we're breaking this up for you you know so uh -huh. you know, yeah right that's because the person says oh I feel much freer now you must have broken up all those adhesions that I have in there that you told me about last time so you have to find a way to not do that well Sounds and it's like. been fascinating for me over the years because really it has been my 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 clients who have educated me in a lot of ways. You know, because in the in the early stages of of doing this work, you know, so they would say to me, "I know this is going to sound a little weird, but you know, it feels like you're, you know, such and such." And they'll describe what they're feeling inside their body. And then as I progressed um, and got to understand more of what perhaps we are doing, it's like what they described was was like physiologically you know, what was happening. Like it was, it happened so many times in my practice that for me, it was just like listening to what the patient is saying, what they're describing, because they, that's their body. They have that intimate relationship with their body that we will never have. So for me, what they have to say is number one. And it's and, worth, I mean, I'm keep, trying to keep in mind for myself too, that the scar isn't just in the physical tissue or the visible externally part that, that an injury and uh, something like that affects the way we feel from the inside out, say the kinesthetic body or the felt body. And that that's often what I'm thinking about and working as I go too. Is that, well, is that in your map, is that in your model? Absolutely. And for me, one of the things that I'm known for here in Canada as a massage therapy educator is work within the um, interpersonal therapeutic relationship with patients. So that's a big part of my practice. It's been part of what I've taught here in Canada. Um, my dear friend, Pam Fitch, I consider her to be the queen of ethics, professionalism, and therapeutic relationship. Um, she's my go-to. I've learned a tremendous amount from her. 
So dialoguing with the patient is such an important part of my practice and listening to what they have to say about what they're noticing or feeling in their body. I think it's just really paramount to being a good practitioner. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I, yes, yeah. we need some skill with our hands, but I think there are times where our demeanor, the way we converse with our patients begins the therapeutic process before we even get close to them with our hands. Nice. Yeah, so it's a lot more than just <clears throat> the pressure doing something to those tissues. There's there's a whole big picture integration happening there for sure. A huge picture. And that was another part of the book that was important for Nancy and I and why we called it traumatic scar tissue management, not just scar tissue management, because we also want to speak about the experience that the person might be having with their scars. We have some folks who their scar is like a badge of honor and they're like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 you know, and that's how I got the scar and, you know, and, and, and that goes across all genders. So not to make any kind of uh, assumption there. And then there are other folks where just the, the tiniest of scar that's barely visible can just feel catastrophic to that individual. So again, it's being careful about our own narrative about scars and really listening to how the patient feels about those scars. Um, oftentimes I have people come into my practice and they're three months out from a, a new knee or a new hip. Um, and part of what they want to know is, is this normal? You know, is this what you're seeing with other patients? Like as far as where my scar is at and my range of motion is at three months out, am I doing okay here? You know, so I can help convey based upon my years of practice of working with new knees and new hips. Uh, you know, you're 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 in that kind of target range of of you know that looks pretty good to me and that feels pretty good to me. So you know, sometimes my practice is more about people just needing another voice to say, "Hey, you know what? That looks pretty good. You're healing really well." Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. A uh, little bit of a random question here, kind of relates to what we were saying, but what do you think about the fuzz question? The fuzz. The, the fuzz it. question. Uh, Gil Headley's fuzz speech, which inspired so many people and uh, inflamed so many people to say, hey, it's not quite like that. Uh, where are you in that? Oh, question? I was there's, not there's, when we, He says when we go to sleep, for example, we wake up and there's a bunch of fuzz in between our muscles and he shows us in the dissection this cotton candy stuff and says, you got to move keep this cotton candy from building up. I was all over the fuzz thing yeah. until I went to the first fascia Congress and Dr. Grimberto showed his stuff. Yeah. And, and then further on from that, that when we extract all the fluid out of the body, all those fine bits of loose connective tissue that forms our sliding mechanism, you take all the water out and that just all collapses on itself and looks like a bunch of fuzz. <laughs> and I, I think even so, Gil, I think the the next Congress, he did the fuzz speech revisited and had to cancel. That's right. Yeah, I don't, no, we've I don't had know him. if that was quite accurate. Yeah, we had him on the podcast and that's basically what he talked about as well. It's like, yeah, yeah. that was a cool thought, but now I had yeah. to refine it a little bit and it's still, there's still something to it, he says. But you're describing Gimberto's uh, high resolution pictures of picking up the skin and looking under and all of the fluid uh, connections. 
and uh, structures that that made visible. That's what I was thinking about when you're talking about your lifting work and your hands-on approach too. It's like you're doing your own little Gimbertel tour right under the skin there. Yeah, I mean, for me, there, there were, I went to that initial fascia congress in 2007. I went there to cover it for Massage Therapy Canada magazine. Um, so I was, I was there doing reconnaissance for, for the magazine and, and because of my own keen interest in fascia too. Um, and, and Guimberto's work was one of those moments that has changed my hands for forever because that was the moment that I started thinking more about the fluid environment. Not that I tossed out the fibers, but I really started thinking about the fluid environment and potentially what our hands might facilitate in terms of what I'm feeling and what the patient experiences. So that for me was a, like an extraordinary moment of aha. And I was definitely one of those people who was like yelling and, you know, fist pumping in the air when he was doing his presentation, like so many of us were, I think we scared. Yeah. Him. And then, <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that's, that parallels my own shift in thinking. And also what I got out of going to those Congresses, again, this, this more detailed understanding of the fluid nature of our bodies and the tissues and uh, just how much is going on. I mean, like Neil Thies's, uh interstitium uh, talk and ideas and Melody Schwartz's lymphatic and the deeper movements of cells within that. It's very exciting. It was Can't exciting. wait to see what's coming next. Yes. And I mean, I had been following Robert Schleif's work prior to that. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a registered massage therapist, but one who has been... Um, influenced by structural integration and rolfing. One of my instructors back in the 80s had just completed his training at the guild, so he started to introduce us to this, you know, magical tissue called fascia that you can't find anywhere or find any information about it. And at the time, that world was still pretty insular and not sharing information with other disciplines. So I got a little bit from my instructor and tried to find stuff, couldn't find anything. And then I think it was in around 2000 or somewhere, the early 2000s, that I discovered Robert Schleip's website, somatics.de. And he was one of the first ones who was sharing information. So I started reading anything and everything that he was putting out there. And really, um, I would say he's probably the reason why I was really wanting to go to that first Fascia Congress, because, of course, I knew he would be there because he was one of the... Uh, organizers so it's kind of Robert Schleip that sort of you know was the impetus for me to really want to go there and then of course my world just exploded from there and I'm really excited about the next one in 2022 in Montreal um, yeah should be yes it's true for a lot of us uh, we're probably moving toward a summary or wrap-up but I got one more I want to just get your hit on you introduced me to Jeffrey Bove. I'd seen him present at the previous fascial congresses, but then I went and did a deeper dive with him about inflammation and his work around tissue qualities and nerve uh, reactions, things like that. His study with, uh, I'm blanking on her name now, about the rats, his rat, the rats and the viscera. Uh, Susan, Susan Chappelle. Thank you, Susan Chappelle. What's... you? Are you familiar enough with that to give us a little synopsis and your thoughts on that? 
Um, Susan is a RMT colleague of mine here yeah. in BC. Um, they were looking at post-operative adhesions and potentially, in the yeah, in the abdomen, and it was an animal study, a rat study. Um, and uh, Susan was sort of massage therapy hands-on for that study, and just looking at, you know, kind of, they, they were part of demystifying that whole breaking it concept, but just looking at if we start moving the tissue around in the early stages, can we potentially pre prevent adhesions from happening in the first place? And so that's kind of what their, their study was about. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen um, any of the videotape of Susan working postoperatively, but she's not delicate. Like she's, you know, definitely a little bit more uh, effervescent with the tissue than I often am. And there was no opening up the wound and that kind of stuff that is, I think, is one of those misconceptions that's out If there. I remember right, too, they were also tracking for signs of withdrawal or protection from the rats. They wanted, you know, they wanted to work within the range that the rats were actually responding to and seeming to enjoy. Yeah, and and then, I remember it. They they would they would, and it's a, I may not remember it accurately. I should have gone back and read it, but they would they abraded the rat's viscera slightly with sandpaper, let it heal during the healing process. Like you said, would do this visceral manipulation. Uh, you said not that gentle, but my impression I had the opposite impression in the video. It was pretty gentle. Maybe it's just by comparison to what I do. But uh, then had a panel go look at the tissues later and rate them blind for adhesions. Yeah. And the ones that got manipulation had f few lower ratings of, of uh, mechanical adhesions there. Yes. Yeah. So that's been debated and criticized that study because it was a study that people cite and say, well, look, look at this. There are adhesions and we can change them with manipulation. Yeah. And then Jeff went on to do some really great work with Mary Barbie um, on the whole overuse tendinopathy thing with some really great results on that uh, as, as well. So, Take yeah. a key takeaway occur to you on that one? Um, basically, they had two groups of rats. They, Mary has this fantastic uh, process of teaching the rats to pull lever to essentially give themselves an overuse, repetitive strain kind of It's uh, coming back to me now. Injury. That is fantastic. Yeah. Yes, right. And they had one group of rats that were provided some manual therapy and another group that they were not. And in the manual therapy recipient group, they had... Um, they showed less abnormal collagen uh, production and also important nervous system changes as well. Lower inflammatory Low cell inflammatory. provision in within the nerves. So it was like less nerve inflammation. That's right. Less just like nerve rolling it around and stretching them a little bit. Yeah. And less pain behaviors. So, you know, a number of different positive outcomes as a result of that, showing that in, you know, manual therapy for those individuals, let's say in a work setting that requires them to do a repetitive motion, if they were receiving care on a regular basis, there's a good potential that they wouldn't develop some of those overuse kinds of issues. Yeah. So it ask. seems a lot of these things are, are sort of less oriented toward what we have traditionally been uh, told and, you know, thought about scar tissue that we're mechanically changing it and a lot more to do with we're impacting the physiological environment around these things. And there's all kinds of 
neurologically and other physiologically mediated changes that occur as a result of that with, with our, our interventions. It sounds like that's, that's kind of the, the approach that we're looking at now. Well, and I think, too, the potential there to decrease pain translation as well because of these different neurological changes that we're seeing, so less of a potential for people to, to transition from an acute pain type of presentation to something that's more of a complex pain uh, type of scenario. So managing the sensitization process. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So you're uh, early on you, in the scarring, you said you're thinking about uh, calming the nervous system, helping with fluids. Later on in the scarring process, you continue to think about fluid perfusion. Anything else you want to throw in there for a summary of your key points? I think in terms of like point, that, the application, you know, like how do we use this information? Yeah. I mean, I think really for me, the way that I use my hands in terms of post-surgically in the, you know, uh, later on, let's say, mm-hmm. and how I might work with someone with an overuse injury or a sprain or a strain, I use my hands in the same way. So, you know, Nancy and I have stayed away from, you know, some kind of um, proprietary sort of, moniker for the names of the techniques that we use because really it's some of the stuff that we we all learn maybe we just help to refine the way that uh, when and the way that we're using our hands nice and yeah. this brings Good. to mind your conversation on the abmp podcast with darren and Kristen, where the title they came up with was uh is it slow down and lighten up? Slow down, lighten up. That was the takeaway yep. from. That's <laughs> great. Anything else, Whitney? Before I do our no, I think it's out? been a, a fascinating deep dive into this, and uh, I I just certainly want to say I really enjoyed your book and have learned a lot of stuff and then and, and got a lot of new light bulbs for things that I want to explore in greater depth uh, as well. So. Um, I really thank you all for putting forth the effort to to look into this topic and, and share what you've learned with the rest of the community here. Well, thank you so much. And I mean, I know who both of you are and have been following your work for a really long time. So it's just such a such a treat to be here and to be able to learn from both of you and have engage in a conversation, really mm-hmm. rich conversation. Nice. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. So if people want to know more about you and your work, we'll put some links to say the book and the article in our show notes, but what else, where else would you direct people? Um, My email address. So if you want to post that, I'm always happy to receive questions from folks. And I'm just going to quickly mention uh, another place that you can find um, as a chapter contributor is to another new fantastic handspring book called Oncology Massage, an integrative approach to cancer care uh, by Janet Penny and Rebecca Surgeon of Heal Well. Um, so I've got some, some stuff in there and Nancy does as well. So I get into a little bit of talking about, uh, radiation induced fibrosis. Um, so if, if anyone's interested in working with oncology patients, really fabulous new resource available. Great. Thank you for that. We'll put all that in the show notes. So, uh, do stop by and have a look at those. I want to thank our closing sponsor, which is the HealWell community. They are an interdisciplinary online community founded by massage therapists for serious healthcare professionals who know how to be real 
curious, professional, kind, silly, and collaborative, they say. In the HIOWAL community, you'll have the chance to engage in honest conversations with practitioners from a variety of disciplines who talk about the issues that keep us from offering the best care. HIOWAL community members connect with colleagues from a variety of healthcare disciplines for discussion and education about monthly themes like the BIPOC provider experience, weight bias in healthcare, and LGBTQIA issues in healthcare and more. Community members also get a 10% discount on all HealWell's continuing education courses, so be sure to check that out today at community.healwell.org. And we want to say a thank you to all of our sponsors. Also to the listeners, thanks so much for hanging out with us, and I hope you've learned some stuff. You can stop by our sites for show notes, transcripts, and extras. Uh, you can find that uh, with my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, where can people find that from you? My site, where all those things are, is advanced-trainings.com. If there are questions or things you want to hear us talk about, you can email us both at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us each on social media just under my name, Tiluka. How about you, Whitney? You can find that under my name on social media as well. You can also follow us on Spotify, Google Podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts if you can. That really helps people find the show and wherever else you happen to listen. And please do tell a friend. And of course, if you're unable to find us in any of those locations, you can grab a collector's edition DVD of outtakes from Gilligan's Island and put it upside down in your Sony Discman CD player and you can hear us there. And that's all we got. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks, Kathy. All righty. 